0: OK, everybody, welcome. My first question is, uh, does everything uh, everything working OK? Everybody able to uh, see and hear me and everything all right? Um, I am asking because I am using my new system for the first time uh, tonight, which is very exciting. Uh, my new computer arrived. I ordered a new computer. Uh, Soon after MythMoot, the horrible failure of my attempt to broadcast at MythMoot, And uh, I was told it wasn't going to arrive until like the second week of September. And to my surprise, it arrived yesterday. Uh, So I've been trying to set everything up from scratch, uh, sort of anew here. Uh, And it's uh, really at Gogonther, yeah, thank you for pointing out. I did forget to change the the stream title. Uh, I was focused on uh, a bunch of other things. So, yeah, uh, I did forget about that. Uh, but that's okay i don't uh, uh uh grudge that um let's see um so yeah so uh here I am broadcasting uh and, and of course you can see that uh um, not only uh do I have a new system I also have a new shirt right uh this is my Balrogs don't have wings shirt uh, that I got from the Signum store. Very excited about that. Uh, it was a birthday present from my mother. <laughs> she, she, you know, I told her we had like new awesome Signum stuff, and she asked me what I wanted, and so I went. Like, Obviously, I need a Balrogs Don't Have Wings shirt. Uh, so, um, uh, yeah, so so I am proudly wearing my Balrogs Don't Have Wings shirt, just as I was proudly wearing uh, my Signum uh, face mask today at the grocery store. That was also fun. Uh, <laughs> so um, I'm representing uh, here today. Yeah, JJ, the masks are really comfortable. I was really pleased by it. it was the most comfortable mask I, I have worn, actually. Um Uh, so like not too, not too thin and not too thick and quite comfortable on the face. I really quite, I really quite, quite liked it. Um, so, um, anyway, that's, um, uh, that's, uh, uh, to, I, I've been I've been excited about that. For those of you who haven't seen this yet, I encourage you uh, to go uh, check that out. Uh, you can find the link to it on the Signum University homepage. Uh, we have a bunch of new things, like our Balrogs, Don't Have Wings uh, paraphernalia. For those of you who haven't seen it yet, basically we have a number of designs, uh, and through Redbubble, which is the, the online store that we're using, you can get those designs on pre- almost anything that you want, um, uh, from shirts and mugs and stickers, and things like that, too, face masks and other kinds of clothing, and um, you know, coasters and phone cases and comforters and throw pillows and all numbers of other things. Uh, so, uh, I I'd, I'd, I'd strongly uh, recommend that you uh, check those things out. Uh, there's uh, a lot of really fun options, including, of course, uh, several uh, inside jokes uh, from exploring the Lord of the Rings you can get a spiritual boulders uh, uh, design on something if you like Um, uh, so anyway that's um, uh, that's that's a lot of fun. I've been really enjoying browsing through everything. Oh, DMA Awesome, you got your Bob as a Hobbit face mask? Yeah, that's uh, that's excellent. I haven't I haven't ordered my Bob as a Hobbit paraphernalia yet. I'm, I'm trying to figure out what is but Do I want a shirt of that or something else? I'm not completely sure yet. I haven't decided um, how I want to manifest uh, my uh, uh, support for the, you know, obviously sensible um, uh, uh Stand that Bob is clearly a hobbit. Um, so, uh, yeah. And I'm telling you, like those of you who try to tell me that uh, Bob couldn't possibly be a hobbit because he's the ostler and can't handle horses, pff, nonsense. Uh, I mean, for one thing, uh, I mean, I have uh, nieces who are like eight and handle horses, so don't you tell me. <laughs> and secondly, um, again, He's a hobbit. He can handle horses. Um <laughs> it's, it's all good. Um all right. Um uh yeah, very cool. Uh so yeah, there's the link. Thank you, JJ, appreciate that. Um Excellent. Yeah, I was hoping somebody would post the link there. Uh, so that's all good. And as I say, if you go to the Signum University homepage, you see there's a blog post uh, at the top which has the link uh, to our store there. And yes, Matt, we are still collecting ideas for the store. Uh, if anybody has uh, ideas for other, uh, you know, merchandise, other designs that would be really fun to see uh, on a t-shirt or mug or whatever, um, please do feel free to suggest those. Send those to uh, info at org, and we can uh, we'd be happy to take those into account, so um yeah, definitely definitely keep those uh keep those coming um, I especially love the uh the ones you know the sort of uh cool tolkien ones are awesome, of course, but uh and of course keep in mind. Uh, you know, they that we have to abide by trademark. We can't sell merchandise with trademarked stuff on it. So there's a lot of things that we... You'll notice that we've been fairly selective. Um in uh, what we can uh, what we can you know put on this merchandise we can't use Tolkien's name of course and we can't uh, use the titles of the books or the the names of most of the major characters but of course uh, Tolkien trademarking uh, has been undermined from the very beginning by the fact that Tolkien was so consistent in giving his, Place names, very very common names, uh, often just basic English words. Uh, you can't, um, you know, you, you you can't trademark the Shire, for instance. That was a point of contention, but it's a common word. Even Middle Earth, of course, has been there have been lawsuits about that, whether or not that can be trademarked. Because of course, as Tolkien himself said, it's he didn't invent the term, right? Um, but um, anyway anyway uh yeah there's a there's a there's a bunch of you know ways that we can uh have fun with this stuff uh, uh, legally but uh anyway, cool, awesome great oh thank you Druid's Fire. see Druid's fire uh programmed our our store into Moobot, which is fun so we can get Mubot's help uh, in posting that link that's excellent all right, cool. Good. So that's my primary announcement. Just to remind everybody about our new store, if you haven't gotten a chance to check it out, you totally should. It's a lot of fun, and the uh, and of course you know uh, uh, you know proceeds you order stuff from the store and it you know helps provide a little bit of support uh, to Signum University. So of course we're really grateful for that. Um, the other thing that I would want to point out is we are uh, a week away from a new set of classes. Both our fall semester is happening. John Garth is teaching a brand new class on his. Is uh, on the subject of his new book, um, you know that was just released in the last few months here. Uh, so, uh, you know, always I, John is just amazing to hear uh, talk. There, are very few people who know more uh, about you know sort of Tolkien's life and world uh, than John Garth does. So, always really wonderful to hear from him. Um, so, he's going to be teaching a new course this fall at Signum, which you can sign up to audit live uh, if you would like to, or of course. Can also still register uh, to uh, uh, take our course for credit or be a, or, or to be a discussion auditor uh, in our class, which means that you don't do the class for credit, but you get to sit in on the discussion sessions and everything. Um, uh, it's sort of the everything but the final grade uh, version of auditing that we have. Um, and also, of course, we are starting up a new Signum Path term uh, very soon. So I want to encourage everybody: we are focusing this fall on our communications badges, our writing and. Ver- Communications badges. Um, that's what we had as most demand for, and we wanted to really focus in on that. Uh, communication skills being the thing that people were uh, most interested in focusing on. Um, so we wanted to we wanted to do that this term. Um, so and and the other thing that's very different about how we're offering our path courses starting in the fall is that we're gonna offer all of our classes every month so that you can kind of take them in any order that you want, uh, and it'll be easier for you to kind of pick and choose and do things things on your own schedule there. So uh, there's a lot of flexibility built into it, but, uh, but I hope uh, that you won't delay. I know se- uh, several of you uh, attended the, the um, sort of preview mini courses that we did recently, which is great. Um, and uh, so I just want to definitely uh, suggest uh, that people take advantage of that. So, all right. Let us jump back into the text so it's been a fortnight of course I was away last week I was off in the uh, I was off in the the wilds of Maine my family and I were traveling around and camping last week uh, which was great uh, in fact a week ago today I had just finished doing whitewater rafting in North Maine and it was a a, a great deal of fun um. So, uh, but I'm back this week, of course, uh, and uh, ready to jump back in. I've been thinking, of course, you'll remember uh, that we ended last time uh, when we spent the last portion of our class last time looking at scanning and looking at the basic verbal patterns uh, in the black speech uh, inscription when Gandalf, of course, dramatically reads out the black speech. Uh, And I was sort of... uh, there are several things that I would want to kind of sum up about this. One is, it is extremely striking. I know that not everyone agrees with me, um, but, you know, you don't have to agree. If you don't agree, I'll, I'll think you're wrong, but you're free to think me wrong, too. Um, I think it's very striking the way that the, uh, the rhythmic patterns of the black speech and the English version, I know Westron, but I'm talking about English, right? Because those words are English there. I know, again, I know it's meant to be Westron, but it's not in Westron. That Tolkien might have written a Westron version, but this is not a Westron version. This is an English version, right? Um, uh, it is very unusual for any English translation of a you know, of poetry in another language for, let me not even say that in terms of translation for two different languages, versions of the same things like the, you know, a poetry that translates into a different language to scan the same, uh, you know, and with these levels of similarities in, uh, the verbal patterns, not only, uh, scansion, but rhyme scheme as well. Um, that is, um, I just amazing. I mean, it's that is extremely, extremely noteworthy. Um, And I am pretty convinced that, uh, you know, after our analysis, and you'll remember how I was approaching this, I was approaching this looking first at the black speech, and then we compared it with the English version and uh, uh and i was trying as you will recall to keep you guys from translating too early um, because i don't didn't want uh our ears to be biased by the um uh by the the you know knowing what it means and trying to fit it into a pattern um the the goal my goal there was not to to be uh, imposing a pattern upon it based upon our expectations, either expectations we import from the English version or expectations that we place upon it by the translation. Um, And uh, instead, just to try to hear as well as we can the sort of native rhythm of the sound of the words themselves. even the, sim, the syntax, I know that many of you were wanting to think about, well, this is a, this is a, uh, you know, this is an ending uh, of a word and this is the root of the word. So the root of the word should be emphasized, perhaps, but not always. Um, that's certainly not a general rule that one can always follow uh, in the the pronunciation of any language. Um, so I certainly don't believe it to be a rule that should trump other things. Um, and again, it's, it's, um, uh, I mean, you could try for instance, to, uh, read Durbataluk and Thrakataluk as, uh, you know, only emphasizing the root words, right? The root syllables, Durbataluk and Thraka, Thrakataluk. Um, you can try to pronounce it that way, um, but it isn't going to work. Or at least what's going to come out, I am going to feel free to say sounds like nonsense uh, to me. The the lines do not work that way. Um, I feel pretty uh, convinced by this. Um, So, anyway. (sighs) What is very clear to me is that What conclusion do I draw from the similarity between the black speech and the English text? The one conclusion that I feel to be totally inescapable from that is that the rhythm of these lines is the essential thing, right? Um, It's more important in a sense, even than the language. Um, In fact, it seems, I can't help but think, especially since like, we have so little black speech, right? I mean, how many total attested words of black speech do we have? Something like forty-ish, uh, if I'm recalling correctly. We have very little black speech. This is a very, um, you know, underdeveloped language in the context of Tolkien's linguistic developments, right? Um, and of the black speech that we have, this is a huge percentage of it. Uh, so there is n- there is nothing. Uh I think in the black speech uh you know in sort of like the linguistic context or concept of the black speech, which sort of necessitates um which kind of imposes anything really upon this right uh, I, it 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 seems to me that Tolkien has a pretty blank slate from a linguistic standpoint to do this, and I think um that the uh again there's the one thing that these two things have in common, and that's their rhythm, right? The the lines sound almost exactly the same, whether it's in the black speech or it's in the English. And therefore, it's, again, the conclusion that seems to me inescapable uh, is that the sound of these lines is the most important thing. And that that seems to me fairly typical. Um, You know, I think that Tolkien... When Tolkien describes things, right, when Tolkien's writing prose uh, and he's describing landscape and stuff, the reason he spends so much time describing landscape is that when Tolkien was writing, the very first thing he did was picture things. He talks about this a little bit, and we have seen evidence after evidence of this in our reading of the history of the of Middle-earth, especially when we were going through uh, the draft history of The Lord of the Rings given in volumes, what is it, six through uh, nine six through eight and a half uh, of the history of Middle-earth. And when we were going through those in the Mythgard Academy sessions, we saw this again and again, right? How he first pictures things. Um, and he tries to describe, he tries to capture those visual images that he has. And that's why he's got all those really long landscape descriptions that so many people, um, uh, that so many people, uh, uh, uh complain about, right? Uh, people who don't like Tolkien's writing style will very often complain about his interminable landscape descriptions. And that's because it's what he's seeing first, right? But, um, when he's writing poetry, I think it's the sound. I think it's the sound of the lines that is the primary thing, just as for his prose, right? It's the visual images that he has that he's trying to capture, um, and not primarily of people, but of but of places, really, first and foremost. Because you'll notice he spends very little time describing what the people look like. Some about their clothing and things like that, but he, he spends very little time describing people's persons. Um, uh, to the extent that there are many of the major characters that we don 't really know some like what color their hair is and that kind of thing because it 's just never said um, <clears throat> but again, so when he's descri- when he 's doing prose he 's describing uh, pictures that he has in his mind, and we see him very often painting literally, physically painting those pictures as well. That's what a lot of the illustrations, uh, are. And you can see very often he is trying to capture with paints, um, what he is also trying to capture with words, uh, in some other places. Sometimes you can see uh, like him trying to capture the same scene, right? In, in both of the two, in both of the two media. Um, when he's writing poetry, I am pretty convinced that the first, like where he starts, what he begins with, like the sort of the bottom line, as it were, is the sound of the line, right? Um, <clears throat> Tom Bombadil's verse, it's, it's about the sound of the line, right? Um, it's, I do not believe that that emerges from the content or, you know, that he first decided what he wanted Tom Bombadil to say and then tried to find a suitable, uh, you know, poetic form in which to embody that, <clears throat> I'm pretty sure. That he starts out with the rhythm, with like the melody, essentially, right? Bum 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 ba bum 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 I mean he's got it in his head. he knows how Tom Bombadil's verse sounds, right? And then he and then he finds words for that. I've always been Uh, I've always felt fairly confident ever since I've really begun studying his poetry carefully, um, that that's how he writes, uh, his, his poems. Um, and, uh, yeah, yeah. Tony says it's more like songwriting than storytelling in the beginning. Um, I do think it's all now. You know, Tony. Of course, I'm far less qualified than you to talk about songwriting. Um, but, uh, but, uh, but, yeah, that that strikes me. I mean, Tony. I'm thinking back to um, in MythMoot, we were talking with John, with uh, John Di Bartolo about this, and someone was asking, like, when, when you write a song, what do you write first? Do you write the words first, or do you write the music first? And he was like, music always. Like, it's always the, you know, the. Um, Uh, the tune that comes to him first and then the words uh, come to fit it. So I I was reflecting on that, you know, Tony, thinking about um, that. I do think that that's really just how Tolkien was working, too. Um, But, yeah, I see Tim and Tony both suggesting that uh, the the sort of... the way in which Tolkien tries to capture what it's like to see Middle-earth, right? Um... I I agree with you guys that this is one of the things that makes Middle-earth such a remarkable kind of experience, right? I I don't know anywhere else, anywhere else. I don't know any other books which uh, avid readers of the books so fall in love, not with the characters, not with the story, uh, but with the world, right? I'm not saying that they don't fall in love with other worlds as well, but... um, Middle-earth is just, it's, it's different. Um, uh, the relationship, Tolkien fans relationship with Middle-earth is different than, you know, the fans of other works with those other worlds. They may really love the stories. I'm not trying to say that, you know, they're not as good fans or something like that. It's just the emphasis is really different. Um, so, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Tony was saying that uh, uh, many uh, songwriters write like that. He says it, he does as well. Um that you have to have uh, the uh, the melody first. Um yeah, yeah. Um but uh, but Tim, yeah, I agree. Middle-earth itself is the central character, uh, of the work. Um, and I agree, I agree. Um, but, um, uh, but anyway, so to get back to the, get back to the poem here, and I'm not going to spend all class talking about this verse again, but I wanted to kind of close the loop on that a little bit, um, uh, on this a little bit, because, and to point out to you one conclusion, well, two conclusions that I've made, because I've been thinking about this for the last two weeks. Um, Two conclusions that I made, and one that I haven't. That's one. One is that I think that the rhythm of these lines is super important because, again, it's it's the fact that it is um, stable between the two. You can't do that. Like you you, you almost can't do it. It is almost impossible. Um, try sometime. Try with a one line with anything. Right? Try, try to replicate the sound structure, translate the substance, right? The meaning of a line of poetry from one language to the next, retaining the sense, right? Making it a direct translation of the words and also retaining the rhythm, the syllabic rhythm of the lines. Try it. It's almost impossible. Like it, it almost can't happen. you know, I, I, I'm i sure there probably are some examples, uh, but it's uh, um, it's very, very it's this is not something that happens by accident. This is not a random. Th- and and to, to the extent that it leads me to suggest. So, again, like, what is the connection between the English and the black speech? Um, I have to think that the English came first in Tolkien's mind that I don't. Consider a given for all of Tolkien's poetry, where we have both the English and a version of the poem in one of his invented languages. I have no problem believing that some of his Elvish poetry um, he wrote first. You know, he thought up in Elvish, and then the English version is is just like trying to do a version of that. I, I can believe that Tolkien did that. I'm not sure that I know of any poems that I'm that I'm really confident are like that. Elbereth um, Gilthoniel is the only one that comes to mind as as a, a really good candidate for that. Um, but, but anyway, I don't want to get too far off the topic. The point is, um, in some cases, I could imagine him actually composing the poem primarily uh, in... Uh actually we're gonna come across an example of this, which I think is a pretty clear example of this, and that's Galadriel's long song, uh at uh at their departure, right? Which you may remember, remembering ahead, right, uh uh the narrator is only gonna give us essentially a prose translation of uh whereas it's in verse uh in the quenya. Um so um uh anyway, um i am uh, uh, I am sure that he does that sometimes again that seems to be an instance of it um but again, you'll notice how far those are apart right um, the English version and the Quenya version are not anything like this right there's no there's not this kind of connection between them so I don't believe that he composed this in the black speech and then wrote an English translation of it. I believe that he composed this in English and then translated it into black speech, especially since there's small evidence that he even got so far in creating black speech as a consistent language that he could compose something in it. Um, so um, uh, so anyway, I um, uh, I think that he composed this in English and translated it into the black speech. and. Under the circumstances, given the closeness of the rhythm, I think it most likely that this the very structure of black speech, the linguistic structure of black speech, seems to me very likely to be influenced by the desire to make this fit the rhythm, right? That he had the rhythm in his... He knew what he wanted the black speech lines to sound like, and I think he made it work. Um again, this doesn't happen by accident. Um, so that's one conclusion. The second conclusion is back to that extra syllable, which I know you, most of you wanted me to just let it go last time, but I can't let it go for exactly the reason that I was just saying there. This doesn't happen by accident. Um, this parallelism The extreme poetic parallelism between the black speech version and the English version suggests a very careful attention to detail on Tolkien's part. And we know how carefully he attended to details uh, in cases like that. So, um, I do not believe that the extra syllable, which does seem to be an extra syllable in that uh, second line in the black speech, I cannot... Believe that that is an accident. I just can't. Um, Tolkien would not have crafted this. And and first of all, I just I don't think that he would have left. He was way too careful. Just he's not going to just be like, wow, well, close enough, right? No way, no way is he going to just do that? Is he going to leave it that way? And secondly, there is no inhibition. I mean, no inhibition at all. Um, it, I, again, he's literally, as far as I can see, making up the black speech as he goes along making this translation. And I think, again, I think that there's evidence that he is even choosing structures for the black speech in order to make it fit the rhythm that he already has in his head here. So why didn't he finish that? Why didn't he do? Why did he, uh, abstain from that in one case, like about that one syllable? Um, and I don't know the answer. So, um, I'm convinced that he did that on purpose, that he's well aware of that, um, I absolutely refuse to believe, cannot possibly believe that he did that by accident. Um, the, um, the, the final thing, the thing that I don't have a conclusion about, I don't really have a good ex- explanation as to why, but I have a kind of sinking feeling. Um, my <laughs> Here's my sinking feeling. My sinking feeling is that um, I was kind of pushing at the meanings, thinking about the translations of the words and stuff you'll remember at the end of last time, trying to think if there was some kind of point or some kind of joke, uh, thinking like Bilbo, uh, to the extra syllable, right? Um, Is he doing something? I hear several people have been suggesting that, you know, he wanted to make it rougher because it's black speech. Yeah, it's supposed to be ugly. And I get that. And it is ugly all by itself. But again, like, the rhythm is the important thing. And what's more, the rhythm is very, as we observed from the very beginning, way back in chapter two, when we talked about the uh, the English version that Gandalf quoted back then, um, it's very incantatory. Um, and that's clearly part of the thing, right? Um, so... Yes, it's ugly. Yes, it's supposed to be imperfect. Um, but, but he was not, he was expressing the ugliness of the language through its sounds, like through the, its continental structure, primarily. Right. Um, uh, it's ugly. You can't make that sound pretty, um, So he'd already accomplished the ugliness. The ugliness is baked in, right? He didn't need to mess up the rhythm, which was the dominant feature of the whole thing. Why would he do it? Um, Here's my sinking feeling. Um, My sinking feeling uh, is, so there are, now I do like the theory. Um, I do like the theory that several of you are pointing to, thinking back to conversations we had with Serena Higgins uh, about demon summoning spells uh, uh, performed on stage, uh, that you don't want to put a real spell uh, of the full ritual uh, as part of a performance because you don't want to accidentally summon a demon live on stage during a performance. Everyone would find that awkward. Uh, so I, I kind of like the idea that Gandalf has deliberately screwed it up. Um, Like, he knows the black speech really well, and he deliberately messes up that last line in order to prevent it from, you know, doing anything or doing more than it does. Um, I am willing to accept that. Uh, That's, I think, at the very least, that is a fun explanation uh, for it, Um, that it would be perfect um, the rhythm of it would be perfect <clears throat> because it's put, this is, this is this utterance of power, uh, but this is a spell, uh, by, um, by, by Sauron. So, um, and Gandalf does not want to, he's quoting it and we'll look in a second at what a big deal that is. Um, and I think that the following paragraph here, uh, gives us a certain amount of support, gives that theory, a certain amount of support, I think, um, but, um, but here's my sinking feeling. My sinking feeling is that if there is a point or joke to it, it is probably a point or joke of a very obscure philological nature that I don't get and I'm not going to get no matter how long I stare at those words, um, which, uh, I was, t- I was talking about this, um, I was last night actually. I was I was recording an interview with the Prancing Pony guys. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna, doing an interview with them on an episode that's going to be released in like a month or something, uh, a couple months. I don't know exactly when. Um, but anyway, I was recording an interview with the Prancing Pony guys, and I was chatting with them about this. Uh, and uh, uh, Sean says um yeah you know it, it might very well be something that like only the like you know couple other people who contributed to the songs for the philologists would get right um and i think it's i think it's very possible right i think it's very possible that um the extra syllable which is you know made by like the particular uh linguistic construction uh of this has some kind of like point or joke uh that Tolkien would have found uh, funny or significant or meaningful in some way and just goes clear over my own head. Um, that's my sinking um, that's my sinking uh, fear, my sinking feeling uh, about that line and what ultimately leads me to let it go uh, and move on because I think that that seems to me probable. Um, I, Yeah, so, um, uh, JJ, the extra syllable seems to me uh, to be an ishi. Ishi. Uh, It's the the she, uh, the the last syllable, the final vowel, the I ending of borzom ishi uh, is the, I would say, that's the extra syllable. Krimpatul, borzom ach, all of those map uh, cleanly. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, what does that translate to? If I'm doing my black speech properly, uh, it's basically, it's the, uh, in the, uh, so borsum is, is darkness. Ach is just, and, uh, borsum is darkness and krimpatul is the bind them. It's that's the verb. Um, so the ishi is that basically it's the prepositional, uh, it's, you know, uh, an ending, which makes borsum into a prepositional phrase. Essentially it's the, in, in the darkness thing. Um, yeah. Okay. Great. Uh, uh, Exeter Kered says, "Can I please speak the whole thing so we can hear the meter?" Yes. Here's the conclusions that we came to last time. Ach ach Ash nas, gimbatul. Ash thrakataluk. Ach krimpatul. And you hear the extra syllable. You can hear it and feel it, right? Ash uh, thrakataluk. Ach ishi, krimpatul. Ah, yep. It's gets me every time, gets me every time. Um, uh, And, you know, Angrist, it's possible that Tolkien was, which did not, again, I said, I I think it's impossible that he made just simply made a mistake and didn't notice that I think to be impossible, um, uh, knowing Tolkien. But is it possible that there is something um, uh, that like that final I just isn't pronounced? Right, that there's you know, that that you just say, Ash Nask Thrakuluk, Akbuzumish Krimpatul. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe I don't know why. I mean, I that could just kind of be my own uh, uh my own ignorance there. Um uh that there would be you know, again, that a much better philologist than myself would be like, Well, obviously in that kind of an instance you're not gonna pronounce the I, but I don't know it. Um, so uh, But I'm willing to believe that it is possible. Um, Or again, that might be exactly the kind of joke that it is, right? Um, uh, That's, I could imagine it being a a sort of uh, joke of that kind. But, um, yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah. Um, Yeah, Mad Violinist, um, I, uh, look, it goes to my heart not to... I mean, I'm going against my own impulses here um, because I have always loved saying gimbatul and Krimbatool. Uh I love stressing the first syllables in those words. Um, and if ever, you know, I work those words into conversation, which sadly doesn't happen that often, uh, you know, that's totally how I would pronounce those words. Um, but I can't resist the... Um, not just the patterns. I mean, you'll remember, even before we brought in the English, um, you know, I was feeling that the lines were telling us, though I didn't want them to tell me this, and I was heavily resistant to them telling me this. uh, I was feeling that the lines were pretty clearly telling me that we should emphasize the second syllable of those words. Um, But um, anyway, yeah. Um, Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Grim Dragon says, if Tolkien were looking down upon this conversation, is his reaction a laugh or a facepalm? Oh, I think both. I think both. Um, I, uh, I, I like to think, Grim Dragon, that it would be a, um, uh, uh, a, uh, benevolent and indulgent smile with perhaps a small shake of the head. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but, um, uh, anyway, uh, okay, so... That's all I wanted to say about that. I said, did want to come back and close the loop. Now let's look at the response. The change in the wizard's voice was astounding. Suddenly it became menacing, powerful, harsh as stone. A shadow seemed to pass over the high sun, and the porch for a moment grew dark. All trembled, and the elves stopped their ears. Never before has any voice dared to utter words of that tongue in in, in Imladris, Gandalf the Grey, said Elrond, as the shadow passed and the company breathed once more. Um, So there are several things here, right? Um, If you just had Elrond's words, if we didn't have that first paragraph, if we went right from the incantation to never before has any voice dared to utter words of that tongue in imladris gandalf the grey it would merely sound like gandalf had been rude right like you know that he had uh uh been guilty of a of a a social misstep in some way right he's broken a taboo um it is um it is forbidden for the words of the black speech to be spoken in rivendell Gandalf knew that he broke the rules right I mean it's what it sounds like again if all we had was that that's what it would sound like just happened here right and even in the sentence before the elves stopped their ears right makes it sound like the elves are just kind of fussy right like oh oh please no stop it right you know like he's playing the bagpipes really badly or something right um, so um, uh, I And I think that, I mean, obviously there's an element of that, right? Um, Never before has any voice dared to utter words of that tongue. Um, Dared. Uh, It is, it's not just not done, right? It is, uh, uh, it's a major action, right? To uh, uh, pronounce these words. It is, Mariel, actually painful for the Elves. hear this speech. Why? Again, sometimes, you know, I will sometimes hear people talk about this passage or allude to this passage, um, as if they're thinking or talking only about essentially the uh, sensitive aesthetic sense of the elves, right? That this language is so harsh and so ugly that it's just, it's like, um, you know, a highly amplified version of my wife's reaction when my teenage son wears two clashing shades of red on the top and bottom of his ensemble right um uh but I think that that's definitely not all that's I think that's happening right I think that that effect is definitely going on here um uh this kind of sharp reaction uh to this horrible hideous language but it's obviously more than just aesthetic um i think there i would identify something like three different levels of the reaction here right first is it is a language that is full of hate sounds harsh for a reason uh because nancy i agree with you uh dwarvish is almost as harsh, I mean, as far as like the, the, the consonantal syllables, uh, you know, like the, the, the way that the consonants come out, there's, there's, you know, it doesn't sound the same. Um, but it is also, uh, a very harsh sounding language. Um, uh, yeah. Um, but, um, I, uh, it's again, it's clearly not just an aesthetic thing, right? It is a language which is designed to express, you know, Tolkien did. He did believe in a link between words and things, right? Um, that there was a fitting expression, uh, fitting words for fitting things. You if you have an ugly sounding word which means or you know which points to a beautiful thing it's a bad word like it's the wrong word um it doesn't fit language should be fitting um and the black speech is fitting right and great green great dragon exactly dwarf uh the 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 dwarf language khuzdul uh is uncouth um but not hateful yes Exactly. Exactly. Um, this is, uh, this, this, the black speech is a fitting language for the kinds of things that are generally said in it, right? For the hatred, um, of Morgoth and of Sauron, um, the hatred, resentment, uh, 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 you know, envy, desire, all of these things. Um, so, um, uh, Yeah. Uh, Dracon Taracni says, Dwarvish merely sounds like grinding stone, while black speech sounds like cruelty and violence. Um, Yes, yes, good. And I see that Carita and uh, somebody else was saying a similar kind of thing. Um, uh, yeah, Tony, um, that there, there could also be something quite like a PTSD reaction on the parts of some of the elves, that um, just hearing the black speech is recalling to them memories. And, of course, elvish memories are a little different from human memories um, of hearing and seeing uh, orcs and their hate, not just hearing their hateful voices, um, but uh, suffering their hateful actions as well, um, so uh, that's so. The first level is just the simple, simple aesthetic, like it's nasty, right? But then there's that other level, right? It's Gandalf is uttering, is giving voice to a malevolence and hatred, which is totally not okay in Rivendell, right? Which is completely discordant. And I use that that word very carefully here, right? Very discordant with, um, you know, all of the basic sort of harmonies of Rivendell here. Um, Yeah. Um, So, um, but of course, there is a third level here. Um, it's not just that either. Um, and that's where we come you No, know, I've been kind of working my way backwards through that first paragraph, right? Um, really from yeah, uh, Elrond's response to the elves reaction. But then of course, what we see first, right? What the narrator first draws our attention to, um, is first the sound of his voice. Um, his voice changes. It doesn't sound like Gandalf anymore. The change is astounding. It became menacing, powerful, harsh as stone. Gandalf is not just quoting black speech. Gandalf is, in this moment, doing black speech, if you understand the difference that I'm trying to make there. Um, Gandalf is meaning it, right? Gandalf is uttering this, these lines of the black speech, as Sauron himself might have uttered them, as orcs might uttered them, might utter them. Um, he is entering into it here. Um, and he is, it seems uh, to some extent, investing these words with his own will, because things happen a shadow seemed to pass over the high sun and the porch for a moment grew dark all trembled and the elves stopped their ears a shadow covers the sun darkness falls when gandalf says this um and again if we uh if we go back um one ring to bring them all and in the darkness, bind them. Um, That's, you know, the invocation of the darkness, right? Um, The bringing of everyone into the darkness. When he says that darkness comes, right? Darkness for a moment, enfolds them, right? Um, They're not being brought back to the darkness, but the darkness is for a moment brought to them. And that's um, a big deal, right? This is a very big deal. Um, Gandalf is here doing magic, uh, to use that word, right? Uh, Again, he he is not just quoting. Uh, He's not just reading. He is saying these words and he's investing them with his, he is showing what they mean, right? Gandalf is not just, you know, and notice how he built up to this, right? He built up to this trying to answer Galdor's question. What are the proofs that this ring is the ring of power and his culminating proof, right? The final, um, rock-solid piece, the most rock-solid piece of evidence that he has is the fact that the fire letters that that Isildur saw and wrote about on that scroll that he read in Minas Tirith are also on that ring, right? There are lots of ways that Gandalf could have presented that. Uh, he could have demonstrated it, right? Let's get a little fire. I'll chuck the ring right in and I'll show you the letters right now, right and you can see it just as uh as Isildur described it and I can translate it for you. Indeed, many of the elves in the room could have translated it for them, right? Uh could have read it and told them what the ring said and confirmed independently uh that this is what though of course they don't with the hidden ring. Sildur's scroll with him, uh, but still, uh, it, you know, he 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 still has done a, a fair bit um, uh, to prove it. But notice that he is not bringing forth proof here. He sets it up like he's going to bring forth proof, and then instead, just at the moment where he says, um, you know. Uh, with that that the fire the fiery letters can still be read if you have the heart to set the precious thing uh, uh, in the fire for a while this I have done and this I have read um so he he he's doing it again as if presenting forensic evidence and then instead casts a spell he is completely changing the conversation in this moment um. Going well beyond, proving that this ring is the one ring. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, exactly. The Green Great Dragon says Glowin could clearly have made a fire. Yeah, he was one of the fire starters of the original party. Absolutely. Um, uh, yeah, good. Mad Violinist is recalling uh, that. Uh, Back in chapter two, when he was talking to Frodo, Gandalf deliberately said he will not utter the words of the black speech here. Um, he could have done, but he's not going to do it right. He deliberately gives, you know, the translation only um, and says as if, like, it's a big deal. I, you know, like, I'm not going to do that here. And he makes the choice to um, uh to go and and, exp- and he, he's, he's going to go back on that, right? He's going to change his policy. And, he's gonna, and we see now why he doesn't do that, right? When Gandalf says these words, stuff happens. So this is where I think, if you want to believe, which I do kind of like, uh, th- if you want to believe that Gandalf has screwed up the incantation on purpose so that the full effect of the spell does not, in fact, you know, it's only for a moment that the porch grows dark. Right. A shadow only seems to pass over the high sun. Um, You know, is it possible that had Gandalf done the incantation perfectly, um, then it would uh, uh, it would have. You know, d- you know, darkness would have fallen or something. Um, I mean, I don't know. Like Gandalf—it's uh, Gandalf does not command the ruling ring here, so uh, you know, I, there's only so much that I think Gandalf is capable of doing if he pronounced all the syllables properly. Um, but uh, yeah, interesting. JJ says maybe Frodo screwed up his recording of it to prevent others from copying Gandalf's effects. Yeah, so that uh, hobbits. You know, Hobbit parents who are reading the rest, the West Book, the Red Book of Westmarch to their children don't cause the shadows to pass over the sun and everything accidental like, right? As they're reading the book aloud uh, to their kids. Um, uh, Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, That's um, possible. Possible. Um, uh, Yeah, yeah, it's possible. uh, yeah, so, Lincoln, I don't know exactly what um, what the spell does or would do. Um, it's clear it makes them all tremble. The elves stop their ears, and the company breathed once more at the end. Everyone's holding their breath. Right. Um, There is certainly a kind of oppression that comes into the room. So here's the thing that I can't help but remember. We've seen something a little bit like this before. Right. And that was when uh, Gandalf showed a little bit of Gandalf the Grey uncloaked to Bilbo. That is when Gandalf exerted his will uh, on Bilbo. Uh, in order to help him to resist the power of the ring back in chapter one, right? Remember when he seems to like grow larger and loom larger and everything. Um, There's even reference to, you you know, to like a shadow uh, from him there. Um, There's a similarity, I think, if we look at those passages, there's a similarity between when Gandalf, you know, kind of uncorks his power there a little bit uh, with Bilbo in Bag End and here when he, uh, recites the black speech incantation. Um, in both cases, he is exerting power. He is exerting, uh, his own will. Um, and this one is meant to be disturbing. Um, this is, I think, so like, uh, what is the spell supposed to do? You know, what is it? I think it is supposed to provide a glimpse of the shadow of the horror of the terror uh, of the oppression, um, of the suppression of spirits and power, um, and, 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 of other powers, right. That we see Sauron capable of, that we see in the Samothnaur in the, in the, you know, at the cracks of doom themselves, the center of Sauron's power, um, that we see Sa- like what, what Sauron does to Minas Tirith, right. With the, you know, after the dawnless day, um, all of those, all of those things, right. Seem to be similar. To the, to the brief transitory effect, right, the fleeting effect uh, that is uh, created in the hearers of Gandalf's recitation here. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Grim Dragon, at the end of the day, I think that although I do really like the idea, I kind of come down on that side too. Um, uh, he says the idea that Gandalf is saying it wrong just seems sloppy uh, gandalf is reciting these black spe- these black speech words in their full effect to make a point that does seem to be what he's trying to do so again although I, as i say i like the uh, that that reading and i think it's fun and i think it, you can make it work with what gandalf is doing here um but uh but in the end grim dragon i think i agree with you um that's why i don't actually think i believe that reading um but um but I kind of like the corollary reading or sort of the, the, uh, the other version of that, right? The one which says that uh, uh, that Frodo, uh, as narrator, deliberately altered it so that, you know, when uh, Sam is reading it to his kids, you know, he doesn't have this exact effect again. It could be Fendigil. It could be. Absolutely. Um, but... Um, but I would think that maybe Frodo would be... Because Frodo is intending this to be read aloud to folks, right? Uh, so uh, enough for them just to hear black speech, you know, without... Uh, and I, I don't think that if Sam is reading it aloud to his kids, it's probably going to have the same effect as when Gandalf says it. Again, that's why I was drawing the parallel to that moment when Gandalf... Um, uh, you know, we, when we get Gandalf the Grey uncloaked with Bilbo. Or almost uncloaked. Partially uncloaked. Um Uh, because, um, that's, uh, again, I think it's about Gandalf's will as much as it's about the words themselves. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Um, yeah. Mariel points out, don't forget the ring is like maybe 10 feet away and that might exacerbate the effect. Um, yeah, yeah, possibly. Um, Possibly, uh yeah, yeah, anyway, um let's keep going, let's just recklessly do another slide. That was a short one, so it was kind of cheating. "'And let us hope that none will ever speak it here again,' answered Gandalf. "'None the less I do not ask your pardon, Master Elrond. "'For if that tongue is not soon to be heard in every corner of the West, "'then let all put doubt aside that this thing is indeed what the wise have declared, "'the treasure of the enemy, fraught with all his malice, "'and in it lies a great part of his strength of old. "'Out of the black years come the words that the smiths of Eregion heard "'and knew that they had been betrayed.' One ring to rule them all, one ring to find them, one ring to bring them all and in the darkness bind them. Know also, my friends, that I learned more yet from Gollum. He was loath to speak, and his tale was unclear, but it is beyond all doubt that he went to Mordor, and there all that he knew was forced from him. Thus the enemy knows thus the enemy knows now that the one is found, that it was long in the Shire, and since his servants have pursued it almost to our door, he soon will know. Already he may know, even as I speak, that we have it here. Whew, okay. Um, You see the shift, right? Um, Gandalf has come to what, again, looked like to be merely the forensic climax, right? Um, when he finally proves his case. Um, Galdor, I have provided the proofs. Uh, this ring is totally Sauron's ring, right? There's no reasonable, you know, I've beyond a reasonable doubt shown uh, that, uh, that, we can con- that we can conclude that. And instead, he doesn't do that, right? Or, I mean, he does that, but he goes way beyond that and shows that his point is entirely different. Um, what's he doing? What do you see Gandalf doing here? And why do you think Gandalf is doing it? What seem to, what conclusions do you think we can draw about Gandalf's, well, I don't want to say agenda exactly, because I don't mean like the meeting agenda, um... Uh, what um, Gandalf's purposes in making this shift, right? Um, if that tongue is not soon to be heard in every corner of the West, then let all put doubt aside that this thing is indeed what the wise have declared. Um, yeah, WKU, it does underscore the seriousness of the decision. Absolutely. Um, this is not just an academic question, right? This is not just like, okay, so we, we need to figure out if, you know, um, I think there's also, um, yeah, he is shutting down debate. Absolutely. Marielle thinks that he also wants lunch, perhaps. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. JJ, that's exactly kind of what I'm thinking here. Uh, uh, you know, maybe he's, he's trying to prevent an Entish kind of discussion. Uh, haste is needed in this debate. Um, yes, yes, it is possible. Uh, n- remember that. Remember the trajectory of. Um, the council so far, right? They started off talking about. Uh. Difficulties happening here and there, right? Uh, The one that we got, the sort of representative sample that we got of that was Glowen's report from Erebor, right? About the emissary from Sauron, who was totally the mouth of Sauron, I believe, uh, who went there and gave his ultimatum and everything. Um, But of course, you know, remember, we were told that there were a bunch of other reports from other lands uh, which sort of told similar things, that there are similar. Uh, issues and problems, strains in lots of different places. Um, So at the beginning of the council, it sounds like this is going to be a council in which people from all the, you know, uh, people who are generally friendly towards each other are coming together from all these different lands and they're sharing their concerns and giving advice. And maybe, uh, hopefully, you know, the ideal outcome of such a council would be forming like alliances and agreements to help each other in their times of need and all that kind of thing, right? i mean that's uh that's that sounds like that's the kind of meeting that we're having uh at the beginning right and then but elrond pushes it right because of course he knows that there are other things that need to happen right they they have to talk about the ring um and so he goes and he explains the history of the ring and all this stuff. Uh, and we get and and this has now built up to the built up to the revelation of the ring. Right. Frodo standing forth and revealing the ring. Um, and Gandalf now immediately upon being pushed to provide proofs. Right. How can we be sure that this is really that ring? Gandalf doesn't only provide those proofs. He does, quite fully in the end, provide those proofs. Um, But he pushes it much further beyond that, right? Um, uh, To immediately saying let's not this is not something just to talk about anymore, right? We can't indulge in speculations and inquiries and and sort of uh, academic discussions. Tarlonio, as you say, this is not Uh, this is not an elven talking party. Uh, no, no, it isn't. Um, yes, yes. Um, good. Mariel, I agree. Uh, Mariel says that Gandalf is emphasizing that the actual task set before this gathering, uh, uh, of the free people is, 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 is this, right? This was not, uh, you know, a council that was called, um, there is something that they're all gathered here to do. And that's already been pointed to very clearly. Uh, in the uh, in Boromir's poem, right in the vision uh, from in the Gondorian vision, um, about you know how important were the councils that would be taken here, right in Imladris So, um, uh, absolutely, Gandalf is saying he immediately turns up the frighteners. Right. Why does he do it? Why does he say it in the black speech? Why does he do here what he explicitly declined to do um, back in back End? Um, I do not ask your pardon. I'm not sorry that I did it right. I did it on purpose. Um, why? If that tongue is not soon to be heard in every corner of the West, then let all put doubt aside. So goal number one, can we not argue about this? Right. Uh, Please. I don't want to hear anybody poking holes in this. Right. We have every I've given proofs. I've given good proofs. Uh, Some of you might think that there's reason for doubt, but please set doubt aside. Right. Put doubt aside. this is the treasure of the enemy, fraught with all his malice, and in it lies a great part of his strength of old. Notice where he's pushing things immediately, right? Um, what is the significance of the fact that they have the One Ring? Let's not get caught up on things, right? Um, yeah, O'Malley, he doesn't want to debate which elves are well known for. Absolutely. Um, uh Yeah. <laughs> JJ, I like your paraphrase. Bless me. Haven't you got a ring? And didn't you hear our poem? And haven't we been talking about all this for hours? (laughs) Yes. Yes. Um, uh, Exactly. Exactly. Um, So. uh, He immediately moves. So he, he, he immediately takes one step beyond... This is I've proven that this is the ring of power to what does it mean that this is the ring of power than that? It's here in this room and in our possession, right? The treasure of the enemy fraught with all his malice and in it lies a great part of his strength of old. Notice what he emphasizes there. It is the treasure of the enemy. This is the thing that Sauron desires above all else. Two, it is fraught with all his malice. This thing is dangerous, right? Dangerous. It is full of not just of power, but of malice, right? So this, is, this thing is going to draw his attention like nothing else would. He wants this more than anything else. It is really perilous to have it. Um, This thing is radioactive. It is fraught with all his malice. And third, in it lies a great part of his strength of old. And in that third thing, I think, is suggesting, and there's also clearly an opportunity here, right? Um, We have the thing that Sauron wants most in the world, so we're going to have his attention now, right? It's really dangerous to have it and to keep it because it's fraught with all his malice. But in it lies a great part of his strength of old. We have a big portion of Sauron's power hostage in this room right now, right? Sauron is deprived of a great part of his strength because he doesn't have this ring. We have it we are keeping a great part of his power from him right so the third part of his statement the last part of his statement i think he is emphasizing the opportunity right um think it through everybody what does this mean what do we do what we have to decide what to do with it right but think about the significance of this and those three things i think are the three most important things it is precious? We know that. It is precious to Sauron. It is dangerous. And it's an opportunity. It weakens the enemy. There is a potential advantage here that none of us could have imagined getting... None of us did imagine that it was possible. Gandalf himself believed what Sauron told him. Why shouldn't he? Uh, That the ring had passed away. Um. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, um, yeah, it is, of course, Tony, as they're going to, as they being Gandalf and Elrond going to point out, um, the, uh, the key to his destruction. Absolutely. Um, uh. Yeah, and Brandon, I agree. Conversely, if Sauron gets portions of his strength of old back, um, well, last time he held huge portions of Middle-earth, to an extent not seen since the Second Age when he had that power. Uh, Yeah, no, exactly. Um, There's obviously a a warning there, too. Should he get this back, we're going to be, you know, we're in trouble now, right? Um, We've been hearing the lands are troubled all up and down the continent. Right? From Sauron as he is. If he gets this back, then yeah, yeah. Um, but Angrist, exactly. We're literally holding Sauron's Achilles heel. Yes, yes, exactly. Uh, I think that that is um, uh, a big part of his emphasis there. Out of the black years come the words that the smiths of Aregian heard and knew that they had been betrayed. And then he quotes the English version which I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about, because we have spent a lot of time talking about that. Um, The one thing that I would say is just how it connects, how he segues into that with this paragraph, right? Um, He was quoting the lines ostensibly to provide proof that this was really the ring, right? Um, Now he gives the English version. Why? Is he giving the English? Why is he going back to the quote again? Why is he giving this again now? Um, And I think uh, the answer is he wants to emphasize. This is Sauron's plan, right? What are the consequences? What are the consequences of our decision? What happens if we screw up? Right. The ring itself tells us, right? That inscription, that thing I just said, that's what happens right? This is what his plan is. This is the purpose of the ring. This is what he will do if he gets the ring. Um, he is going to rule us all. He's going to find us and he's going to bring us all and bind us in the darkness. That is going to be the consequence if he gets the ring back. Um, so he builds back up to the quotation, right? Um, as the conclusion, but I still, I do think that in the midst of that, he suggested that hope, right? But he's not. Um, uh, uh, but he's not. Um, he's not emphasizing the hope primarily, right? His first purpose in this passage is to freak them out. Right, I don't ask your pardon, Master Elrond. If I did, did I freak you guys out? If so, good. Uh, I meant to do that. Um, yeah, mission accomplished. Exactly, exactly. Um, know also, my friends, that I learned more yet from Gollum. Right, it get worse. You thought that was the bad news. Oh no, that's not the bad news. Right. Um, He went to Mordor, and there all that he knew was forced from him. Thus the enemy knows now that the one is found, that it was long in the shire, and since his servants have pursued it almost to our door, he soon will know, already he may know, even as I speak, that we have it here." It would be a dreadful chance. Uh, as he said to Frodo back in chapter two, even if the enemy were still clueless, right? Um, Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, The point of that last paragraph, I think, is clearly urgency, right? Um, The clock is ticking, people. The clock is ticking because this is why we have to really focus on making a decision. In his first paragraph, he explains the stakes. He emphasizes what a big deal it is that they have the ring, what it means about Sauron and to Sauron that they have the ring. Right Both the horror and the, oper- the horror and the hope attached to that fact, the fact of their having the ring. Um, then he reminds them of the consequences if Sauron gets the ring back by quoting the thing in, in, in English, right in, in Westron. And then he says, "And we're almost out of time because Sauron knows that we have it, and he's going to come for it. Right. Um, Already he may know, even as I speak, that we have it here. Um, And Tony, this is a great piece of rhetoric. Absolutely. That last sentence. Um, What I like about that last sentence is, first, he sets up the rhetorical rhythm. Thus the enemy knows that that the one is found, that it was long in the shire, and... And then he starts adding in. So, you know, we, we have the, the, it's, it's a threefold um, structure, right? Uh, that the one is found, that it was long in the shire and that we have it here. That's his sentence, right? But notice how he increases the tension by putting in a whole bunch of subordinate clauses uh, and phrases in there, right? Um, and since his servants have pursued it almost to our door, he soon will know, already he may know, even as I speak, that we have it here." Right? Um, He really draws that last one out, emphasizing the very extreme significance of that, right? So that when he finally says it, that we have it here. Um, That image that he calls up, like Sauron might be thinking about us Right now, as we sit here in this room talking, this is not a theoretical discussion, right um the, Sauron might be focused the whole mind of Sauron might be focused on us in this room right now somewhere Sauron is focusing on us, and he's making decisions about what to do so um yeah we'd better uh, we'd better do that um. Yeah. Yeah. Um, good. Yeah. Matt says, I think the big evidence that Gandalf is introducing is that Sauron believes it is the one ring, uh, to the point that he has sent the Nine for it, and they were willing to cross into Rivendell to get it. Yes, exactly. And Matt, of course, as you, uh, are remembering that was where Gandalf started, right. When he said to Galdor, when he responded to Galdor at the very beginning, uh, right. You know, some would say that the pursuit of Frodo, uh, you know, is, is enough. Um, uh, to show, you know, that, uh, whatever this ring is, Sauron really, really wants it. Right. Uh, so kind of circling back to that definitely, um, is, uh, it's fairly, uh, fairly suggestive. Um, but, um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, good. Um, so, yeah, the question, and I saw there was a little bit of discussion of this earlier on. Um, uh, <clears throat> the question of, like, how? It's been not that long. Um, you know, It's it's been, what, like, a, less, a few days, basically, um, uh, since the, you know, like, did the Nazgul get back to Sauron in less than a week uh, from the the uh, the Fords. Well, first of all, um, they were sent home, you know, without their cloaks and boots. Uh, so I don't think they rode horses uh, uh, all the way. Um, I think they could have covered that ground pretty quickly. Um, it's also possible that there were other ways that this could be revealed uh, to him. Um, Matt, I saw in passing the point that you made before, and I only skimmed it, so I might not do full justice to it, but I think it's a really interesting idea. Matt's question was, he's remembering when Gandalf lit the... uh, He's remembering ahead uh, to when Gandalf lights the fire on top of Carothras, and Gandalf says that he has written Gandalf is here in letters that can be read, you know, all the way down to... to, What does he say? The... uh, the, the Gap of Rohan or the, the mouths of Anduin, I mean, like across the continent, basically. Um, uh, so Matt, if I'm remembering, if I, if I'm, if I was getting it correctly, your, um, uh, your point was when Gandalf does the black speech incantation, when he, you know, does that spell, um, is it possible that Sauron himself could be aware of Gandalf That that could be, you know, um, almost a kind of uh, declaration. Yeah, JJ was just asking the same thing, and that's what I was. That's what made me JJ want to come back to uh, Matt's point there. Even as I speak, right? Um, The connection to his own speaking there. Um, Did he just make Sauron aware of it? Now, the big obvious question here is. Why on earth would he want to do that? Um, uh, you know, I am, uh, I don't know why Gandalf would want to do that. I mean, Sauron already suspects, uh, you know, he's going to know. I don't think he would want to short circuit that. So I can't imagine um, Gandalf choosing to reveal Himself to reveal this to Sauron, um, that's the biggest problem I have with that, and we see how reluctant he is to light the fire on top of Carthros for exactly this reason um, but um yeah, yeah, um, yeah, I don't know, um. Interesting. Mariel says, it sounds a little bit like Cortez burning his ships, uh, but that's usurping the other's free choice in a way I don't like. Um, maybe, yeah, I mean, maybe Tony's thinking maybe he's, uh, uh, he believes that Sauron would see this as them fighting over the ring. Uh, possibly, possibly, you know, that, so he's, um, his thoughts are that, uh, um, Sauron might misinterpret this, right? Um, possibly, possibly, um, Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Uh Could there be you know some people are speculating could there, could Gandalf be doing something that is almost like what Aragorn is going to do later on um the difficulty I have with that is that when Aragorn does it, right, when Aragorn deliberately draws Sauron's attention to himself and Um, you know, prompts um, Sauron to move his armies earlier than he might have done. Um, He's doing so with the explicit purpose to draw attention away from the ring, right? Um, Here, Gandalf would be drawing the attention of Sauron to where the ring actually is, right? Um, And, uh, yeah, exactly. That's just what Emily was uh, was saying there. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, as Bricktail says, if Gandalf were declaring their status to Sauron, they wouldn't sit around Rivendell for so long. They'd sit out immediately. Yeah. Really hard to imagine Gandalf being like, so first I'm going to draw Sauron's attention and basically just, you know, Defy him openly and say, "Yeah, we've got your ring right over here," and then we're gonna we're going then we're gonna sit around for a month, right, and not do anything and wait for him. That that's, um, yeah, uh, yeah. So I could imagine it being the hasty stroke goes off to stray ploy. You know, that's it's possible. It's possible. And yes, I agree that Sauron already knows where the ring is or soon will. But again, like, why let him know even one day earlier? Like, what's the point? What's the advantage to that? I'm not sure that I see it here. Um, yeah, two months. Yeah, no, you're right, Nehor and Tony. You're right. Two months they're going to they're gonna sit around uh, and, uh, uh, and not leave um, and thus give Sauron and his people every opportunity uh, to prepare, right? Um, yeah, so in the end, I have a hard time accepting that. Um, therefore, it seems to me that the most logical reading of Gandalf's, even as I speak already, he may know, even as I speak, um, is that news could have gotten to him that somehow either through some, uh, you know, sort of mystical or spiritual means, uh, the witch king was able to communicate it to Sauron, uh, from a distance or they were able to travel really fast. Um, uh, you know, can they fly? I don't know. You know, I mean, uh, is there some way in which that could happen? Um, I don't know. Um, you know, can they travel in some, you know, speedily in some kind of disembodied form? Maybe, I don't know. Um, uh, could they send messages by birds? It's possible, you know. Um, so uh, those, but whatever the mechanism is, the mecha- the method of communication between the Nazgul and Sauron, uh, that seems to me the most likely explanation. Um, and Trifle, you are right. It could also just be rhetoric to increase the urgency. Um, uh, he isn't saying that he knows. that he, He's not promising, right? Um, uh, he soon will know. That's certainly true. Already he may know, even as I speak. Maybe not, but maybe he does, right? So, yeah, I, I, I think the rhetorical effect is clearly the most important element there. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, now Lupilia, you are correct that Saruman can, uh, relay it to them by Palantir. Um, and so they would only need to get a message as far as Saruman in order for Sauron to know right away. That is true. Um, though there is even before Tolkien wrote the hunt for the ring section that is published in unfinished tales, um, in which he went through this much more clearly, uh, But even before he did that, it seems unlikely that there's been a very great deal of coordination between the Nazgul and Saruman. Um, Exactly, Sam. Yeah, I'm not sure he would. Uh, Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, Um. Yeah, Mike, I also have a problem with fast, unbodied Nazgul. Um, I I mean, it just raises the question, like, why did they, you know, come in their bodies in the first place? You know, that doesn't seem... So, yeah, I I don't think so either. Um, Yeah, yeah. Trifle, yeah, Trifle says Saruman is uh, still trying to double-cross his way to the ring, and Sauron knows it. I don't think that Sauron would want Saruman to be entrusted with this information to be perfectly frank um yeah, yeah um anyway, most likely, I would think it would be through spies and messengers, and we've already been told um uh we've already been told that it was um that there are birds that are in his service, so Uh, that seems certainly the most likely. Could a bird or, you know, series of bird messengers, if they've got a, a, you know, some sort of avian message service, um, you know, could that possibly get through? Yeah, I think it's possible. I think it's possible. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Um, Anyway. Okay. Okay. good. Well, I think I'm going to stop here with Gandalf's rhetorical climax. Um, uh, yeah, vultures, Tony. I, I agree. It wouldn't be Crabine. It would be vultures. Definitely vultures. Uh, some kind of vulture, uh, uh, you know, the vulture express. I, you know, Sam, I don't believe that the fox was involved. I really don't. Um, I think that uh, uh, the fox keeps his own counsel, clearly. Um Uh, I think, if if anything, the Fox is a a totally separate player in this whole thing. So, um, all right, but I'm going to stop now. We will return to what happens after Gandalf, uh, uh, you know, drops this on everybody, right? Um, And, of course, the immediate thing we're going to get is some uh, more information about Gollum. So, after, uh, we're going to have the climax and then... slight anticlimax in some way. Uh, but anyway, um, we'll continue with that next week. Thanks, everybody, for joining me. Great to be back. Great to be uh, once again stable. Broadcasts seem to be working okay uh, here tonight. I've been pretty pleased with that. There's still a lot of things about my setup uh, that I'm getting used to uh, because everything is different, and I'm I now have a bigger screen than I had before. So I'm, uh, I'm, I'm getting used to the new layouts and stuff. Um, but, um, anyway, all working pretty well, uh, so far. Um, uh, so cool. Yeah. Uh, JJ was asking my streaming at a higher quality. Maybe JJ, I had to re I'm using OBS to stream as I always have, but I set it up a new, uh, and so the settings are probably not the same as my old settings. So it's quite possible uh, that I'm streaming at higher settings than I was streaming before. Um, I'm not really sure how they compare exactly. Um, so, yeah. Um, okay. All right. So I'm going to say, uh, I'm gonna, we're going to switch over and we're going to do the field trip. Good evening, Valori. Welcome back. yeah oh, yeah, we missed you too, yeah, between not doing field trips going like between my computer dying and and uh and then you being sick, we were like you know really just not operating as normal for quite a while here, oh yeah. 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 Yeah, this is a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. Okay. So, one thing I want to apologize in advance, um, as I said, I've got a totally new setup here, which means I've just reinstalled the game from scratch. So, like, a lot of the settings are pretty screwed up. Um, and... Um, oh, wait, hang on. You're not hearing... Uh, hang on a second. I can fix that. I can fix that. I thought that there was a problem here. Let me see. Hang on a second. Um... Okay, let's see. Valori, try that now.
1: Test, test. With blackest moss, the flower pots were thickly crusted one and all.
0: Great. Okay, I think we're getting her there. Yeah, we can... It was working in Discord, I know. Um, uh, okay. okay. And you can hear it in twitch now. Okay. all right, Good. Yeah, Huzzah! See, part of my uh, audio setup that I hadn't gotten quite right there. Okay. All right. There we are. Excellent. It's not right. So yeah, one of the main things that I'm getting adjusted to here in my new system is like my um, um, my camera control. So I used to use like the left click and right click to uh, move the camera around a lot, and
1: mm-hmm.
0: it's now like completely spastic and horrible when I do that. So I'm kind of trying to not do that and I'm so I'm going to be doing yeah. some
1: other Probably things. good if you just log in to play one day and just fix anything that needs fixing.
0: Yeah, I'm going to try to see if I can see if I can fix that, but um Yeah, okay. So it is we are streaming at a at a higher I am streaming at a higher resolution now. Great. Yes. Excellent. Yeah, I have no idea, JJ, when I originally set up my uh, Twitch settings on OBS. I don't even remember. I did it like so long, so many years ago and never (laughs) revisited it because I was just like, I have no idea. Um, so yeah, I, I, I don't even know what it was, but this is definitely better. Um, and, uh, uh, and even in my webcam is better. So, um, it also, this is a better webcam, um, and as you can see, it's um, I. I, I switch for. I was using a MacBook Pro before, and I switched to an iMac. So my camera is about a foot and a half higher than it was <laughs> before. So I'm kind of like dealing with like a you know my the the vertical nature of things here. Uh, anyway, so <laughs> um, okay, so we are going to uh, go to so. In our Angmar journeying, right? And so here I'm I'm just going back to the Angmar map here. Um, we have been most places uh, in Angmar now. Um, Angmar's a lot of space. Uh, but we've covered almost all, right. all of it, except for uh, Uragarth and Karndum, basically. Yep. Which are the places that are hardest to get to. Um so, uh, yeah, um, so I'm not sure. So, anyone have any suggestions for how we do? Well, let's get up there first of all. Yeah. So let's let's go up to Gathforth near as usual. All
1: right, sounds good.
0: Meet from up there. Um, but I don't even. It's been so long since I've done Uragarth and Karn Doom. I don't even remember. Are those quest areas? Specific, are they instances or? I
1: think they're instances, but I'm not positive. It's been five years since I last played. Well, generally, I went in there if I needed spare parts for stuff, but right. uh, now I have so many tunes that I just go into the bank and be like, ah, claws. I have like 25 of these sitting around in my vault.
0: Okay, hang on a second. So, oh, wow. Alright. There we go. Yeah, there's something wrong with my right-clicking.
1: Hmm. Okay. You can also buy those things off the uh, skirmish vendors anyway, so. Which things? The things Valar is referring to. The level 50 class quest items.
0: Okay. Okay. Oh, Yes. I can pan in and out. that I can figure out how to do here. Um, there we go. All right. So can we... Hmm. Can we get to... Well, what, what can we get to? That's my question. What can <laughs> we get to? Um, and what happens when we do? I guess let's just, like, discover that.
1: Yeah. Let's, let's hit up for Garth and see where we go from there.
0: Yeah. Let's figure that out. Yeah.
1: So the, the digital myth move was fun. Yes.
0: Yes. It that was, it was.
1: Um, was a lot of fun. I was a little sad we didn't get our Wigan Valori reunion, but yeah. Yeah. I had a lot of fun at uh, room of requirement. As well, we, we it's still up there too. If you want to check out, we've been posting videos of uh, recipes, uh, yeah. Music you playlists. We're
0: doing. Uh, you, I, I I didn't get an, uh, as much time to be involved with uh, that stuff as I might have liked. But you guys were doing a, a lot of uh, new stuff this year. Uh, really mm-hmm. kind of making some changes with the uh, uh, with the. Online format. Uh,
1: Yeah, yeah, we we had to get creative in some areas. uh, Well, um, we we did a lot more video game streaming. Uh, We did an intro to Star Wars: The Old Republic, which is uh, another one. Mythgard's picking up quite a bit. Uh, We did Elder Scrolls. We did an intro. We did the High Elf intro, just for old time's sake. And uh, I built a Hobbit Hole in Sims Four.
0: You built a Hobbit Hole in Sims Four
1: yeah yeah well they they just came out with an expansion pack that lets you put grass on roofs so i thought this this is the time now's the time
0: now's the time indeed
1: that one's going to be up in the gallery i got to test it a bit first it was funny too because we made it like this is Bilbo and Frodo still living together. So we were trying to figure out where in the timeline this was. So we had sort of Frodo as like a surly tween. So there's like you know his his room is a mess. There's books everywhere. There's a there's a hole he accidentally knocked in the wall and is trying to cover up with a statue. That sort of thing.
0: Oh, <laughs> well, that's fun.
1: Placing people's furniture really does help you get to know a lot of them. And I had to make up a lot of conjecture. There's a lot of things they don't discuss in these books, like where yeah. the bathrooms are. Right. Are they right. indoors or outdoors? That sort of thing.
0: Right. Right.
1: I think I think the discussion we did, we, we decided that if any, any race of men...
0: Oh, hang on. I think I lost you there.
1: Oh, you got me? Yeah, there you go. Got you again. Yeah, yeah decided uh, hobbits would probably be in the forefront of plumbing technology
0: right right
1: possibly if, if not the dwarves possibly the dwarves, the dwarves yeah. since they got all the underground rivers and stuff
0: exactly well and you know and that seems to be you know what they're one of the things that one of the main things they're boasting about you know remember when mm-hmm. uh, when glowin says that they're um um, you know that they have surpassed their fathers in in, in building, right? And mining. Mm-hmm. Um, the first thing he immediately points to is the fountains and waterways of Dale, right? So, which yeah. suggests that perhaps you know plumbing advances were actually things that had been happening there.
1: Yeah, um, sure is. But okay. also, we know hobbits are innovative in insofar as things that are convenient, like they've invented clockwork.
0: Right. Right. Apparently, yes. Bilbo has a clockwork mantelpiece. Um, so. Cool. Cool. Yeah, no, that sounds like a fun project.
1: Oh, the gates are giving me heebie-jeebies.
0: Yeah, getting some serious dread here. Hard to examine things when there's this much dread. But this is our route, right? This is where we haven't been yet? Yeah. Yep, yep, up
1: up this hill. Okay,
0: all right. Well, let's just go. We can't see too much anyway, so... Yeah. We might as well go.
1: Man, to the sharp pub crawl and get, get a view like this. There uh, we go. We're back now. Oof, yep. There we go. Right. What are these things again? Or gothrog? Oh, oh the troll kind. Okay, that's right. Oh, better.
0: All right. So I'm looking at right. the stonework here. How... Uh huh. Look at the stonework. Thinking about. <sighs> okay. So what I'm looking at is the difference. The wall in between these two towers seems to you know how from a distance, like we can see the walls of Karn Doom up and up from a distance, uh, and you can see the um those like the black and white bars, right? The horizontal bars. So we've got that sort of middle uh portion of the wall, which is sort of that that kind of pale white. Uh and then you've got the darker what looks like Iron or not iron, or it'd be redder, but some kind of black metal, right? Yes. Up above. Um, And that metal, of course, we see all over the place in like the spiky bits around the towers and stuff. Um, But what was interesting to me about these towers is that the stone is different, right? We can see it's a very different kind of block uh from oh, yeah. the stone of these walls those walls are what we've and and i believe that this is the this architecture this wall architecture is what we had identified before as old angmar right like the fortifications yep. built in the old gory days of the old yeah the, old
1: the big courtyard yeah the big courtyard up near the front yeah I have exactly
0: those. exactly
1: but yeah this this stonework's got these vines crawling on it i don't think yeah. we've seen that before uh, yeah, it's almost it's, like
0: trying to remember when we've seen that exactly. It's... It's it's like hops or poison ivy or something. Well, that's why... It's making me wonder if perhaps the... Um, I should probably just dismount to not bother my horse and not be constantly looking at my horse's backside. Um, uh, it makes me wonder if these towers might be new Angmar, especially since they've got all those, like the you know, the fishhook things, like, which mm-hmm. we've noticed sort of correlate with, uh, seem to correlate with New Angmar.
1: This um, is pretty fun. Yeah,
0: I was just looking at that, too. So that's supposed to be the Eye of Sauron in the middle, right? Or to evoke I, it, at
1: least? Yeah, sort of. I, of I can't figure orange. out what it's, is it made of the, It's there's a different metal up there. It's a rusty metal, not the... Mm-hmm. Greasy purple kind we usually get. I
0: think it's painted red in the middle. You know those lines and the, the red bits.
1: Yeah, yeah, that was a choice.
0: I think so. I just want to look at the arch from the other side here as we pass through.
1: I'm crown marksman. Yeah, we got more of this rusty metal over here, right over by I'm crown marksman. See where I'm standing. No, no.
0: Okay. All right, there.
1: He's not shooting me, is he? Oh, okay. Because <laughs> that would be rude.
0: I'm trying to look
1: at How dare he? Come on. Black speech in Rivendell. How okay. dare he? No. <laughs> okay. All right, so turn turn around right like uh there's a more rusted iron over here.
0: Oh right, yeah, like this big old Yeah, that's just rusty, you're right. Yeah. Uh That's new. Yeah, I gotta think that's new. So let's say It would make sense that... Of course, it would make sense that the newer architecture would not be as good as the old architecture, right? I mean, that's what you'd expect.
1: Lost secrets and all. Exactly.
0: Uh, So the new Angmarim power is only a shadow and an echo of the old one anyway. Um, And so, yes, JJ, this is the evil Brie architecture. Absolutely. This is the, the... the Tudor architecture, uh, like Brie except slightly more evil, um, mm-hmm. which I take to be the Hillman dwellings, right? But anyway, so yeah, my uh, thought is that these these uh, these rusty towers would be a modern emulation of the old Angmarim towers. Yeah, um, but uh, you know, a lesser version
1: of it. Maybe this, the metal, the purple, greasy metal is uh, either rare or there's some sort of complicated process to it. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: There's some sort of symbol near the top of the rusty tower over here. I can't quite make it rusty out. Tower? Yeah. There's a little rectangle in between the two spiky bits, oh. the little Batman horns. Yeah. I can't make that out from here. Hope we get to see another one. It looks
0: almost like a, looks almost like a skull. Almost like a skull a, and crossbones. Not quite, but almost like that. Looks like a boar to me, but a boar? like a wart ha- yeah. warthog head or something. It looks like a head with two eyes.
1: Yeah, that much I got, but that could just be Paridolia talking. <laughs>
0: right, right. Yeah. Hmm.
1: Hmm. Let's want to see if we find more of these. Yeah.
0: Yeah, Let's see if we can find any a little more closer in. Um, Yeah, so these towers would be modern towers. So, what would have happened to Karn Doom when the Witch King fell? Mm
1: Uh-huh.
0: Well, when the Witch King fell, Arnor had fallen too, so there wasn't any... It wasn't like the, you know, the you know, the the Battle of the Last Alliance when Sauron is overthrown and then Gondor takes over. Yeah, yeah. Because in a sense, there wasn't anybody to take over. The Hillmen were just kind of left to themselves. Um, uh uh-huh. But... I would have to imagine that the stronghold of the enemy itself, of Karn Doom, that is, um, uh-huh. Would probably have received some attention from the triumphant good guys, you know. Could, uh, yeah, you know, a squad of Gondorian, you know, engineers at least have been spared to come in and wreck the fortifications. Um, I'm just trying to think of why this would need to be rebuilt, as it does seem to be. We've seen a bunch of places with older-looking walls than this. This smaller stone does look modern. Yeah, and now we're getting that rust, the the small, darker gray blocks alternating with yeah. the rusty metal all over the place, and it's quite different from that. Uh, and again, if we saw a glimpse of it down here um, Yeah, in that wall along the slope there, right? That was the classic old Angmarim structure. Just going back to look at it again for a second here. That wall, that, this is the classic old Angmarim style where we've got the much larger blocks, we've got the uh, the metal which is not rusty, it looks almost like blood stained, but it's not just brown and rusty like the other metal. Um and you've got this like black and white thing going on. Right. hmm
1: Um You see it's not it's not rusty or corroded, it's still shiny. You can see that it's still shining in the yes, light.
0: Yes, exactly. Um which is very different from this you know, from the brown
1: It's very rust dull here matte. Yeah.
0: So it looks almost like, so going back up to the upward slope here, it looks almost like they were trying to emulate that, right? Mm-hmm. Here, especially in here, right? With the... Um,
1: oh yeah, oh, it's everywhere.
0: Yeah, with like the gray stone block alternating with the rusty metal. Um, yeah. But they don't, you know, they, they're not able to make the the white Sort of sheen um, and they're uh, and they're not able to make the metal the same way okay. either.
1: It's like darning with a different color thread yeah yeah.
0: but you'll notice that the stone that these walls are made of are more like to the stones that are the foundations of the the evil Tudor buildings mm-hmm right?
1: Yep, and then implies it was probably someplace closer or something.
0: Right, exactly. And also that it, um, yeah, again, it's probably built by, so again, so this is the, the consequence of, you know, the Hillmen who are the descendants of the old Angmarim who have been independent and were freed from the malevolent influence of the Witch King for a long time and who have now fallen back into this pattern. And we were looking at, what seem to be the links between the Hillman culture and mm-hmm. those who have gone back over to Angmar, right? And so we can still see some memories of their tribal uh, days, and some of them still maintaining their tribal ways, like those uh, tribal warriors that we saw in the village overseeing the Angmarim folks in Angmarim robes tilling the fields. Remember that? Um, uh-huh. So... They're kind of buying in and they're sort of redoing it, but it's definitely a lesser. It's version.
1: a loss, it's a technique that was lost to the ages, it would seem.
0: Yeah, yeah,
1: you know, I'm just like the dome and freestanding sculptures.
0: Do you see many places where that brick and rust? That block and rust architecture is, as it were, essential. I'm trying to figure out.
1: Well, here's a buttress that might be essential. Yeah.
0: Well, by essential, what I what I mean is integrated with the houses. Um, what I'm trying to figure out is, was this like? Did the Hillman just like still live here? Did like so? Uh, so after the Witch King falls. Or mm-hmm. runs away anyway, um, and the Hillmen kind of take over here, right? They're ruling Angmar. Um, they uh, they settle here. Right. They kind of take, uh, this was the main city and they're like, well, it's our city now, right? The witch king is to anyone. So they, they, so they build these houses and stuff. Now we're having the second rise of like the kingdom of Angmar and many of the hillmen have kind of reconverted and Mm -hmm. they're now building it up. And so they erect these new, um, uh, these new defenses and things in the sort of mode of the, um,
1: the ancients, yeah. <laughs> the ancients, yeah,
0: but ineffectually. But but could, or are these things that were built by them as they built their houses? Like, is it is it sort of a native part, if you? Say oh, a, of the, of the. I
1: would have to know more about the oxidation process of metal, honestly. But
0: right, I don't think it takes that long for iron. To it get doesn't,
1: which. Like this. The fact that it's intact but still covered in rust indicates that these are relatively new structures.
0: That's what I'm thinking. I mean, it's it's been a, it's been enough of a while. I mean, it's been, you know, at least what a couple years.
1: Yeah, and these houses are in pretty good condition, but they are they're all they are older, but they aren't derelict like some of the ones we've seen.
0: No, they're not. They're not. But so I'm also maybe not seeing them like. This one is the only one that I can see that looks like it was built into a wall, one of the new walls, with that budget
1: pointing out. Yeah, it does imply there were some structural problems they were trying to fix.
0: Right, but a lot of the houses are freestanding. Again, as if they existed and then they were like, so they had this sort of village here, right? And then they were like, what this village needs uh, let's take out the old fountain and let's put in a big huge fish hook with green fire thing in the middle of the square here, right? Um so This
1: is the old metal though.
0: Yeah, this is the old metal. They did see, they do seem to have some of it, right, which they've erected cuz again we've seen a lot of those fishhook things looked really new. mm mm-hmm. Mhm.
1: Um maybe maybe it's something only certain acolytes have access to.
0: Right or or maybe it's a limitation of resources rather than a limitation mm-hmm. of of skill, right?
1: They only have so much of this greasy purple what's-it metal.
0: Yeah, exactly. exactly.
1: Evil-tonium.
0: Yeah, and Belongsmond, I agree. There is very strange weather in these parts. Who knows <laughs> what the atmosphere around here, you know, has uh, done to...
1: Well, look at the pollution here.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: looks like your evil nuclear glowing pond. <laughs> what is the purpose of this, though?
0: Yeah, I don't know. So we've got these flame jets, I guess? Yeah. Well, is that actually like it's emitting flame? That is flame? Yeah, not it, not just gas? it
1: does look like it does look like fire as opposed to the stuff in the middle, which are like coals,
0: right? Because there's this, I guess, vapor or something emerging in the middle right? Can I also say uh-huh. I'm really enjoying being on ultra high graphics mode again too like this <laughs> is pretty cool um, but anyway um,
1: uh, yeah you can see all that not work in the middle now yeah yeah does it kill you if you jump in does anyone know? Kind of want to see that middle bit there. Oh, it's got a it's got a wall.
0: Oh, it's got a wall. You can't jump in.
1: Yeah, it's a shame. I wanted to see if I could get closer to that knotwork.
0: So that looks like green lava. It's spitting up little bits, right? So it yeah, looks, it's, like it's like bubbling coals coal of something. Kale. Is it liquid <laughs> or is it metal? Are they coals or is it fluid in there? It looks like
1: coals. It's sending up sparks, like coals. Sparks?
0: Okay. It could be sparks. I guess I was thinking they were like spatters, like.
1: Oh yeah, it's like Epcot, with the little jumping water bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Epcot was evil. Right. Oh, and and some something is jumping all the way up this thing. Look at that! It's like sending a signal or something.
0: Oh yeah, the little. Green, and then they
1: fade into purple at the top? They yeah. fade into purple. That's for a blue sure. shift for you. I'm wondering if it's creating the sky. It says, ooh. If this is what
0: is making the...
1: My pollution comment was correct. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah? That's no, a that's good
0: theory.
1: that's my theory. I don't know for sure. Is, no, it's, so it's, a a solution, it's a good theory. It's right? a good theory. I mean, look, it's it's literally sending things up to the sky. Yeah,
0: and some of them are, as Belongs someone points out, some of them are coming down, too
1: some of them are coming down, which goes back to my Epcot theory, right. <laughs> <I> <laughs> that it's like, just I like pretty and evil. Theory. I,
0: I, I think that that works for me, that yeah. this is one of the sources of the disturbing sky.
1: Well, I'm, I'm seeing what this guy's doing here with this, because he's standing over the, the flame jet or something. He's just sort of waving a sword over oh, it. Oh, that
0: guy. Over there, hang
1: on. Yeah. Like, does it help his swords or something? or? Oh,
0: wait. Oh, did he stop? Is that the guy who's being shot now? Okay. Well, there doesn't seem to be anybody tending it or anything. Also, I'm trying he... to figure out whether the green fire is the purpose, or whether it's a, a
1: byproduct. Byproduct. Yeah. Oh, like like a vent port on a computer. Exactly. That's what Like it, I I stick a chocolate bar next to a vent port and <laughs> now I have hot chocolate next to my computer.
0: Right, exactly. It, it's it looks like it could be something like that. Um, like just the place where the noxious fumes and heat are vented out. Um, it does have
1: that sort of drain pa- pattern over the, ex- yes. the the exhaust port, let's call it. Yeah. It also has one in the middle too, next to the, the skull of a Mumak and you know the animals in Celtic Nutwork.
0: Oh wait, you mean on the?
1: Surface. Yeah, in the center pedestal. Yeah, yeah. I'm not seeing as many vapors though. It looks more like it's directed from this, I'm not as opposed to this, it. where it just looks like it's blowing off steam.
0: Are there? Are the designs on the pedestal representational?
1: I'm seeing like animals. Yeah, I see a mumak and like bang hounds or something. Kind of like those critters, the, the flame demons and you know, nightmare, uh, Nightmon, Bold Mountain. Bargus. Well, oh, it's like Bargast, Bargists and Moomocks.
0: Okay. I
1: think I Bargusts see the and... mumak.
0: You know what that looks like? That looks a little bit like that design you were seeing on the rust.
1: Yeah, it kind of does.
0: Yeah. But, you know, so this would make sense if there are some kind of, like, vaguely kind of, you know, um, totem-like creatures in there. Man,
1: now I really want to get a good look at that thing now. See, this is a new... This is a new um character so to speak yeah
0: well so around in the corners or two of the corners we have these are what are these over here like white factories no not exactly i thought they. it's lo- not a
1: phylactery factory
0: no it looks a it little does bit,
1: look like a smokestack it does look very
0: like a smokestack Corroded, not in good shape. Yep. Green and not
1: in use. Light.
0: Does this water do you harm?
1: You tell me. <laughs> no, doesn't seem to. Okay. Not green. <laughs> well, it it it's hard to tell with the lighting, but
0: Yeah, where does the light come from? Uh, I think the
1: light's still coming from
0: uh from the fountain? Our,
1: uh, our fountain.
0: Can't even really see it from here. You'd think we'd be in the shadow of this uh, bluff here. Looks like it's almost coming from above. It's illuminating the bank all the way down into and possibly below the waterline. Definitely below the waterline. Yeah. Look, at the, yeah, the part of the column that's underwater. And there's a grate down at the bottom. Look at that.
1: Oh, look at the gross little like neon green streaks like whatever liquid in there is just noxious it almost looks like there might be it's like like when you break a highlighter pen it's like my mom's cooking (laughs) oh (laughs) hope she don't listen (laughs) you guys fishing in here don't, don't recommend the... eating anything that comes Whoa, out. Nasty. Yeah. Get Blinky, the three-eyed fish.
0: Okay, and then I assume this one over here looks identical. Yeah. I think so.
1: Yep. It's sitting there.
0: And then if we look over here at this... So, the walls around this courtyard are Uh new faux Angmar walls, right? Yes, it is. Stone wall and the iron, the rusty iron. And that goes pretty much all the way around. Over here, we have these are these gates?
1: Oh, yeah.
0: I I don't really get what this is.
1: Looks like open? a portcullis that came down. Maybe? But from where? I know From the ground maybe. <laughs> oh, oh yeah it look looks like it was kept in a trench and then it pops up when they need it. They're,
0: they're almost like French windows. I, I don't really I, I don't really understand.
1: It's a tasteful screen to divide That's, the room.
0: It does look a bit like a screen. How? Puzzling.
1: Especially since we have some friends on the other side, it would Oh, so yeah, you can just
0: it's not a very effective defense, apparently. You can just walk around through it?
1: No, I think people went around to the other side. Oh, okay. Let's see. See if I can suss out where they're going. Oh, yep, yep, yep. Here it is. Oh come on.
0: We go around this way.
1: Yeah, you can go around the back. It's the first turn. It's sort of hidden.
0: Oh, I see. All oh, right, you can't go under the arches. You have to go all the way around
1: them. Yeah, you have to go around. Not much to look at back here.
0: No. It's the exit. I mean, we're outside the walls now. Oh yeah. So that's like a postern sort of? Maybe. Whoa, What's fl- up this hill? Yeah, I was just gonna ask that same question. Where are we, map I we? don't know. A scenic overlook of lovely Himbar, perhaps?
1: This is one of those messenger paths. There's Himbar again.
0: Secret it, passage. Oh, no, it's not a cliff. It's just a very sharp crown of a hill.
1: Yeah, you're right. Scenic overlook. Huh? Called it.
0: Let's see, where is this? Is that? Yes, that's where the um, that's the little, that's the house where the cargo stands in the middle.
1: Yeah, would make a nice account. postcard.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's quite lovely.
1: Stop at the evil gift shop <laughs> yeah,
0: and there's the gates, the carn doom right down there, yeah, okay, well, really, that's excellent <laughs> and then it goes, but then it keeps going down. Where does it go to?
1: It does keep going down. I swear this is the messenger path that the dwarves have up on their cliff.
0: <laughs> right. Bull says the postcard would say, aren't you glad you aren't here? <laughs> <laughs> yes.
1: Okay. Wish you were here. Wish I wasn't. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's the spider breeding pit. Yeah. So it's just like a back way in, apparently. There's a back way into the main lower courtyard. I say lower because there's the big gate up above it, right? Mm hmm. Uh, this
1: is like one of Gollum's little backdoor passages. Yeah. You want to get into Karm Doom and avoid the statues? Come this way.
0: Yeah, it does avoid the statues. Now that you mention it, I mean, and the giant get,
1: oh, it's bothering. Ah, uh, Toriko, totally book about it. Ah, okay,
0: all right.
1: The spiders guarding the secret passage. Now, why does that sound familiar? Right.
0: So, there, on the one hand, there's yeah, it's it's a good news, bad news situation, right? Like, <laughs> there is a back route in, but it might be guarded by a monstrous female spider. Okay. Oh. Alright, this is so this is just into
1: Yeah, this is just Bogbert. we're just in the Tori Torre Hib- I- Bogberis. Okay. Interesting. All right. Yeah.
0: Okay. Well We, we have there. found
1: something that probably not a lot of players know about. That's fun. <laughs> yeah.
0: That was an interesting route. Um,
1: yeah, good idea let's ride up, that's that's a better idea yeah, probably so
0: okay, well I should probably let people go, I'm trying still trying to uh, uh, sitiate not keeping everybody up until the middle of the night Um, well, past much past the middle of the night perhaps I should say
1: I know. Um, Still getting used to my new school s- sleeping schedule. Yeah. Stuff. Yeah.
0: Okay. Well, we will. We'll get back to the courtyard, and then we will. Uh, we will resume from there next time. There's the ceiling Oh
1: no! Is there something else over here? No, it's just an. It's just an offshoot. What a wild ride that was. Yeah. Wow.
0: Very interesting. Okay. All because of the bizarre postern gates, which I don't think do move.
1: No? I don't. Well, I think they move when you enter in an instance. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I seem to recall gates like this moving, and I think they were stored underneath these big slits
0: here.
1: Yeah. Okay.
0: I can believe it. I can believe it. Alright. So we will return next week to the pollution fountain here and the gates up we're probably come fairly close to as far as we can come without uh, without uh, I, instancing, right? It,
1: yeah. Yeah, what, what is that guy doing with his sword? Is it like poisonous? Is he treating the blade? Yeah, is he... Is he performing some ritual? Looks like he's sharpening it on his leather grave, actually.
0: Actually, yeah, you're right.
1: It's the only light nearby? It looks like that's the only light nearby, so he's using the light. Yeah.
0: I'm gonna do it in this glowing green fire that's blowing up in my face.
1: What could go wrong? Yeah. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Cool. All right. Okay, well, thanks everybody. I'm gonna uh, we'll 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 call it here and we'll return uh, and see how much further in we can get next time. Um, good to be back. Good to be uh, 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 good to be back on track here and uh, uh, streaming lotro again successfully. So we can yes, this does mean that I will be will be doing the wedding some point now to celebrate my new system. Um, Yay! not immediately. I'm not going to be able to do it this weekend. Uh, but maybe, maybe sometime soon, uh, that will be a a fun celebration to do. So, all right. So I will say good night here. Thanks everybody for joining us, uh, both for class and for our field trip. And we will uh, look forward to, uh, seeing you guys again next week. Good night, everybody. Good night.